Deep into the earth I go. Deep into the earth I know. Deep into the earth I go. Deep into the earth I know. Hold my hand, sister. Hold my hand. Hold my hand, sister. Hold my hand. Deep into the earth I go. Deep into the earth I know. Deep into the earth I go. Deep into the earth I know. Hold my hand, sister. Hold my hand. Hold my hand, sister. Oh, my hand. Hello and welcome to the Womb Centered Healing Podcast. I'm Sama Morningstar. And before we get started with today's episode, I wanted to invite you to an event that I and almost 30 other, I think it's 28 now, other um, wonderful Womb Centered Healing Practitioners are co-creating. It's called the Embodied Shakti Summit. So this is happening in April of 2019. It is happening from April 5th through April 19th. It is a free online summit. Um, And I invite you to sign up and check it out. If you enjoy the interviews that I host here on on the podcast, you'll definitely enjoy this summit. It's about embodied Shakti. Uh, We're all talking about what embodied Shakti means to us, people, women from, uh, and some, and one man, I think, (laughs) I interviewed, on the practice of bringing our Shakti energy into full embodiment, full awakening. And that Shakti energy is the feminine creative life force energy, and it's called different names. Uh, It's the divine energy that we can embody through whatever spiritual practices, somatic practices, embodiment practices that we discover and and develop for ourselves. Um, The speakers uh, are talking about this from all different perspectives from all around the world, from a variety of different spiritual traditions, from Islam to Christianity to yoga to um, to various African spiritual traditions, um, comedic yoga and other traditions. And it's a really diverse group of people. So join us for the Embodied Shakti Summit. You can check out the lineup of speakers on the sign-up page at embodiedshaktisummit.com. So join us and we'll see you there. Hello and welcome to the Womb Centered Healing Podcast. I'm Sama Morningstar and I have Lisa here with me. Thank you so much, Lisa, for joining me on the podcast. I'm so excited to hear more about your work. I've listened to your podcast, Fertility Friday, 
a um, couple of times. You interviewed uh, Kelly Garza one time. That's how I discovered you. And then I saw that you were promoting your new book. I'm so excited about this book that you've that you've published it and you're putting it out there. So please um, introduce yourself. Tell us about your book. Tell us about your work, and share with us what womb-centered healing means to you. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I am just thrilled to be here. And uh, so my, you asked about the book, so I'll start there. Um, I just released The Fifth Vital Sign. It's my first book. We were chatting in the pre-chat. It was a, um, a what is it, a, a passion project. It took mm. two years to write. Uh, and essentially the message of the book is that the menstrual cycle is essential for optimal health for reproductive aged women biological women who menstruate and um, in the book basically I'm making the case that the menstrual cycle is a vital sign mm -hmm. and similar to the other vital signs that we're more comfortable with or more used to uh, like blood pressure or body temperature or uh, respiratory rate heart rate etc uh, we know that this info when when you go to a doctor and they're testing your vitals we know that it gives the doctor important information about health and if there's something off if say your blood pressure is too high or too low not only does it tell the doctor that something's happening right now it also gives the doctor kind of like a roadmap so if the blood pressure is too high there's a list of corresponding conditions that the doctor would know to look for and what's interesting about the menstrual cycle is that the menstrual cycle is also always reflecting back a woman's overall health mm. so whether um, if for example if a woman's ovulation is delayed or if she stops ovulating altogether stops getting her period this provides essential information that we should be paying attention to about a woman's overall health mm. Uh, and so the the book is it's interesting. So I am a fertility awareness educator, meaning that I teach women to understand their menstrual cycles. And some women opt to use fertility awareness as birth control, so a, a highly effective method of non-hormonal birth control. And some women find fertility awareness when they're trying to get pregnant, so that they can really understand their cycles and identify the best days to have sex for conception and other women use it for a combination or different times throughout their life and also to be able to monitor their overall health and so I discovered fertility awareness and started working in this field teaching women to chart their cycles when I was really young I discovered fertility awareness right out of high school I was in my first year of university so lucky you <laughs> I know right <clears throat> it's such an unusual experience especially nearly 20 years ago to have the opportunity to discover this at such a young age so I mean for me what brought us to this point here I started my podcast uh, it'll be five years this year and Basically, I was able to go through my 20s and, you know, early 30s and have this as my primary birth control method. I was able to avoid birth control when I needed, hormonal birth control when I needed um, to prevent pregnancy. And so, I mean, and I was teaching women, so none of this information was new to me. I was able to kind of take it for granted. And then when I got pregnant, after I got married, I got pregnant, had my first son, I kind of like looked around and realized that the world hadn't changed very much and the average woman still has no idea really of how her menstrual cycle works and just is not privy to this knowledge that I've been able to take for granted every day. So that's what prompted me to start my podcast and ultimately to write this book because it's interesting. You know, I've seen 
the years past I've seen things change. It's a very different landscape now to when I started. You know, when I started, there were no apps. My phone had a green screen. Like <laughs> there were no, none of this really interesting technology that we have now to help women understand their cycles. Uh, you know, I had an Excel spreadsheet and a copy of t- Taking Charge of Your Fertility, basically. Mm. But now, even though we have this influx of apps and, you know, charting devices and all of these types of things, your average woman still doesn't know about her cycle because we're just not taught about it. So, um, so your, your other, the third, I'm trying to remember the question. So the third question was, what what does wound centered healing mean to you? And and then I have some more questions after that. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to hit the ball. I'm trying to remember. Uh, But womb-centered healing, what it means to me, obviously, because of all of the, those experiences that have brought me to this point here with you today, is really understanding and connecting with the menstrual cycle. So I would say to me, it means developing body literacy. Body literacy is a word that's, that's used just in the sense of understanding your cycle, understanding when ovulation happens, understanding how to predict when your period is going to come. When you can identify ovulation, you can predict when your period is going to come. So because what happens is when you are connected to your body and you can just understand the general, it doesn't mean you have to be using the method for birth control, just literally having this basic understanding of your cycle and how you feel at different points in your cycle and connecting with that. It just changes so much that you, you can barely describe it. And it empowers, as a woman, it empowers you to start to trust in your body and to trust in the signs that you see. Mm-hmm. And it, that helps you to, to feel empowered when you need to interact with your doctor or your health practitioner, when you need to ask for care and support, it helps you to, it really just empowers you along this journey through life. Um, and that yeah. empowerment is so impactful because, you know, there's all these practical reasons why that empowerment is good. And what those things do when you feel like, oh, I'm going to, I, you have that first experience of, of having the confidence when you go in and talk to your doctor and you can tell them what's happening with your menstrual cycle. Or if you see an acupuncturist, you can tell them what's happening with your menstrual cycle. There's, there's a feeling of being held by yourself. Like you're holding and taking care of yourself that our wombs relax into more and more the more we pay attention it's like our wombs want us to pay attention or suffer when we don't pay attention and oftentimes just the simple act of tracking our cycles uh, which is sometimes one of the first things that women who are having womb you know health difficulties womb centered health difficulties or even other health difficulties whether it's mental health or physical health in some other area of the body just simply beginning to track our cycles and know what's happening and how things are related to our menstrual cycle is a huge transformation and often huge amounts of healing just happen with that alone And I've talked with a lot, as you can imagine, of womb-centered healing practitioners. And the story is the same time and time again when we compare notes about our personal story around this and clients that we've worked with over and over again, simply tracking the cycle. Uh, Whether you're trying to get pregnant or not trying to get pregnant, just that by itself for your overall health is so profound. And so 
Um, the question that came, so thank you for bringing this, this book. I, I'm, I, I won't stop thanking you because it's, I'm so passionate about how much we need to um, educate ourselves and each other and our young women, young girls. And so I'm curious <clears throat> if you have considered making your book available to the educational institutions. Well, I mean, the, the high book school, is available to school, <laughs> but I mean, like doing a campaign, I'm talking about doing an actual campaign where you approach the middle, middle school teachers that are responsible and, and that are, you know, showing probably still the same film back from the 1950s. Who knows what they're showing now in the middle schools, but finding out and saying, here's this book that's very important and la lays out you know, I, this is my proposal, right? Let's, let's get this book out there uh, because my understanding of it, and you can correct me if I'm wrong and share more about it, is that you, you're coming from a quite scientific approach in the book. It's not super esoteric. And that's, it's so great because a lot of the books about menstrual awareness that are out there already are quite esoteric. And so it's going to be hard to get those books included in, um, in the educational system because there's so many religious beliefs and and prohibitive religious beliefs in the community that that, that would vilify the 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 approach the the esoteric approaches that, but as a scientifically oriented book which might bring in a little bit of <clears throat> the esoteric awareness but but it sounds like it's more focused on on the on the medical and the scientific of it. Could you share a little bit um, more about that, how you're bridging that? Well, yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned the, the, I mean, the big question, which is how do we get this into the schools? How do we educate our teenagers? And I mean, that's a, it's a big question. And anyone who works in the field, whether it's specifically fertility awareness, that's what, that's what basically almost all women say to me when they, you know, come across fertility awareness through my podcast or, and now the book, the number one question I get asked is, you know, why didn't anyone tell me this before? Mm -hmm. uh, why didn't I learn this in school? And so I feel like uh, for me, I've always focused on what I can actually do right now. So <laughs> what I can do right now is make a ruckus. I can start a podcast. I can yes. start talking about it. Yes. I can write the book and, you know, worry about all of the details of how we can get this into schools. I feel like you kind of have to just jump in and start somewhere. Uh, I, I, I'm not that old or anything, but because I've been in this field for almost two decades, I see that not a whole lot has changed in terms of the structures, in terms mm -hmm. of the fundamental education that uh, we are receive our children are receiving in schools and especially now that I'm a mom I feel like it's really it's up to us we can't just sit around and wait and hope that the schools are going to mm -hmm. catch up uh, what you mentioned about the scientific background as a fertility awareness educator uh, this is a burgeoning field it's not an, a well-established field a lot of people have never even heard of fertility awareness mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so you know we're still fighting the misconception that it's an ineffective method of birth control it's just like the rhythm method uh, so 
a big part of my desire to bring the science behind it is because there's a ton of science behind it. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is that even in medical school, doctors are not taught to the extent. And uh, so for instance, I have an entire book about cervical mucus. So as women, we make, we produce the cervical mucus as we approach ovulation. Many women would have seen it before. It looks kind of like creamy white hand lotion. Sometimes it can look like raw, uh, clear egg whites, like stretchy between our fingers and it can also feel like you're wiping and it's like really slippery or you have to wipe a bunch of times but just at a certain point of your cycle so a lot of women have experienced it but think back to the sex education you know that you received when you were a teen and I was taught about my period it was like you get your period but no one it was like fast forward through whatever like we don't talk about what happens between periods um i was taught that i could get pregnant on every day of my cycle that there were no safe days but i wasn't told what specifically happens and how this all works we were kind of shown the reproductive system and taught like taught about the sperm and the egg but we weren't really taught about the logistics Mm-mm. what's interesting about that is that this is science this is biology and there's no reason why we shouldn't be there shouldn't be a detailed explanation of cervical mucus. It's fascinating, cervical mucus. Mm-hmm. It has these channels that facilitate rapid sperm transport. It actually, uh, until sperm swim through cervical mucus, they're not capable of fertilizing an egg. So there's um, a, a basically, a, it's called capacitation. But there's <clears throat> a chemical reaction that happens in the sperm when they swim through it. And I could go on. I mean, I'll stop, but I could go on. <laughs> you wrote so, a whole book. Do yeah. you have that book available? Is that a published book too? Or is it just something that you you distribute when people it's want? It's available on Amazon. So okay. So what's the name can... of that book? What's oh, this the same the same book we're talking about. The fifth oh, oh. It's a, that's where you go into all the cervical mucus. I thought you were saying yeah. you wrote another book about nope. cervical. No, this that's within book. this one. Um but I suppose what I'm saying is that so for me when I think about my high school experience. I remember biology class and I remember learning about the ear and the eye. And I remember just there was a lot of very detailed learning all the different parts and how mm-hmm. they work together. It was very complicated. Cell biology. I remember endoplasmic yeah. reticulum. I mean, the name. Mitochondria. Of- I know. We learned a lot of details. That's right. Right. So there's no, first of all, it's not too complicated because a lot of the things that we, I took physics. I mean, a lot of the things that I learned were a lot more complicated from that scientific perspective, but this is basic biology. So, you know, your question about, is this something that the schools could teach and going at it from a science perspective, is that a little bit more neutral because we're not talking about religion? And mm-hmm. I believe so. And uh, as a fertility awareness educator, I feel like on this point, I can speak for the majority of other you know, educators in this field. If there was one thing that we would want to be taught to teenagers, it would be cervical mucus for yeah. a couple of reasons. First of all, if you teach about cervical mucus, then you have you know, hundreds of thousands of millions of women who don't think they have uh, infection every time mm. <laughs> they're about to ovulate. So that, from a practical standpoint, is very helpful. When you can identify mucus in your cycle, uh, after ovulation, your period comes about 12 to 14 days later, and it's fairly consistent. And so just giving young women the tools to be able to predict their period it's so basic and so practical Mm -hmm. and just to have that understanding I think it would also foster 
a, a positive relationship with your body to understand, to demystify. This is normal. It's normal mm -hmm. for you to experience this. This is what it means. You know, your periods are a sign of health. This is why they're a good thing. But of course, that's not exactly the society that we live in. <laughs> well, and the thing is, is that we say, why isn't this information available? We have it. It's scientific. It's all of this. Well, it's because most, a lot of people are still deeply influenced by this internalization of the religious belief that uh, sexuality is sinful, especially for young people, that young people should be waiting till they get married to have sex. So giving them any information before then, they just should get married and find out on their own and we shouldn't talk about it. And, you know, especially not talk about anything having to do with the female organs or the male organs for that matter, but particularly the female organs and mucus and blood, all those things. No, we're not going to talk about those things. So there's this whole um, energy of shame and even disgust that is still quite prevalent. I can still, you know, make a post about menstruation or menstrual blood on Facebook or, you know, a public and a public forum and have one or two people come up with, ew, icky. <laughs> well, can I share something with you? I was having a conversation, because as you can imagine what my life is like, I'm always talking about periods and yes. <laughs> um, vaginas and whatnot. So I'm having a conversation with one of my very best friends and she framed something for me and I, to this day, had never thought of it that way. So we're talking and she says to me, uh, she's like, because she was kind of framing it for herself. She's like, you know, Lisa, I, I had a lot of guy friends, you know, most of my friends were, were men when we were, you know, going through junior high and high school. And she's like, what I, but when I think back about the sex education that we received or rather didn't receive was that boys were taken into a room and taught about how to orgasm. This is how she phrased it. And girls were sent into a room and basically told that our reproductive system is bad and we could get pregnant. So for example, the boys were taught about wet dreams and ejaculation because of course, if that happens and a, a, you know, a young man doesn't know about that, it can be really alarming, obviously, if you don't know what it is. But that is associated with orgasm. So right away, I thought it was so interesting because boys are then taught mm -hmm. about orgasm, but the concept of orgasm is not ever talked about with women. Really? We're taught about the plumbing, so to speak, not mm -hmm. even accurately or in any type of detail, but really the message is, you know, it's all bad. You could, uh, the only thing that can happen is pregnancy and we just need to prevent that at all costs. You know, we're not going to tell you anything else, but then boys are taught about orgasm. Right. Well, and that places the responsibility for the pregnancy entirely in the women's hands when actually the boys are, are more at cause for unwanted pregnancy because they're going after this orgasm and, and the girls just don't have the information about their bodies and they're not even fertile the entire time. The boys are the ones that are fertile the entire time. And going after the orgasm and so <laughs> you know and not taught to take any responsibility for the pregnancy that might occur uh, as a result of their orgasm and so not to mention this disparity in the experience of sex that then ensues where girls ha have no idea that maybe they might have pleasure 
in sex at all. All they have is the fear of an unwanted pregnancy. And boys are just all about, let's do the pleasure thing. And so then you have this disparity uh, between the genders. No wonder uh, people are opting out of this whole system right and left and exploring different gender orientations and all of that because it's not a happy picture. Well, this is so interesting because I had a, a conversation going in my Facebook community today. So not when this is released, but today when we're recording, I had this uh, conversation. And essentially, just to paraphrase, one of the women in my community, she posted a question. And I, I'm not going to say it exactly because I'm not looking at it, but she had a young woman in her life, it could have been her daughter or cousin or something like that, who was on birth control. And she was concerned that she just wanted this young person to be aware of the side effects. Uh, and so she was kind of putting out a question of, you know, what can I do? What would you suggest? Is there any information I can direct her to? You know, how can I help her to learn about uh, hormonal birth control? And so this really interesting, as you can imagine, conversation ensued. And uh, one of the women in the group, I mean, for me, my message is always about informed choice when it comes to birth control. And so I think it's really important for women to know about the side effects. And speaking of, you know, sexual pleasure and orgasm, one of the side effects that is well known for birth control is low libido. And, you know, especially the younger women start on it, the more likely they are to experience painful sex because the effects of hormonal birth control have been shown to shrink the clitoris and thin the vaginal tissues, specifically around the vaginal opening. And if a woman's going to develop vulvodynia or you know, painful sex, it's typically pain on insertion. Um, and that can obviously be affected if the, the tissue itself is thinner because of this medication. And in addition to that, when they do research, so, you know, reading the research studies, women who are taking hormonal birth control are more likely to report that they have, say, decreased sensation, or they're less likely to orgasm, or if they do orgasm, perhaps the orgasm is less intense. Now, this is something that a 15-year-old, 14-year-old wouldn't necessarily have the lived experience to be able to identify, mm -hmm. because you don't necessarily, and you know, tell me if I'm wrong, but you don't necessarily come into your own and have a really comfortable understanding of your sexuality and your feeling and all of that until you've had a couple of years under your belt, you know, mm -hmm. until you're, you, you've had a couple of years to grow into that. Right. So when it comes to birth control, you know, of course, for me, I jumped in there and I said, well, you know, hey, what about condoms? When I was growing up, <laughs> Kinda, I mean, I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, and that was when we were still scared about AIDS, which we don't talk about anymore. And so I grew up in the, the, the generation where we were talking about STIs, and we were all explicitly told repeatedly to use condoms all the time. Mm -hmm. And it seems like something has changed. Because now, when you, t when you look at condoms, if you were to Google it and look at condoms, you know, condoms are 98% effective when used correctly, and correct use is not difficult. This no. is something that we can very easily teach any human being to do properly. Mm -hmm. um, but when you look at condoms, the effectiveness rates listed are often very, very low. And it's almost as though we're discouraged from using condoms. Hormonal birth control is presented as the only effective and reliable option. And so when you mentioned this burden of preventing pregnancy that's put on women, for me, I feel like it's completely ridiculous to 
downplay or not even tell women about the side effects associated with it. There's specific negative side effects that are associated with giving it to teenage girls, a couple including you know, increased risk of depression, all the sexual side effects that we talked about, um, increased risk of anxiety, but also um, having a healthy menstrual cycle with regular ovulation is associated with more than just your ability to reproduce. And so a part of growing up and becoming an adult healthy human being is developing bone mass. And as women, we gradually kind of build up our bone mass until we hit peak bone mass, which is kind of like the, the highest per percentage of bone density, um, somewhere between the ages of 30 and 40. And when women are put on birth control, it prevents, if they're steadily kept on it, you know, from teenage years all the way up to adulthood, it has been shown to dec decrease the bone density. So you have young women who will never reach peak bone mass, mm. meaning, yeah. So this is, I mean, <laughs> this is important information to know. Yeah. We can't just, um, th there's so many parts in what I just mentioned that we can't, yeah. we shouldn't be so cavalier, I guess what it is. I'm not saying that no one should have access to birth control, but we need to know what the, the risks are. And we can't continue to be so cavalier about giving it to all these young women with no regard to her sexual experience, her ability to orgasm, her you know, increased likelihood for painful sex, her increased risk of depression, all the nutrient deficiencies, mm -hmm. and the research that's coming out about the link between birth control and uh, bone density. I mean, these are serious. All of these are very serious uh, mm -hmm. effects. And, and and it comes, again, it comes from this societal sort of secret agreement that it's okay to sacrifice women's health and well-being so that men... And sexual pleasure. And sexual pleasure, which is a part, a central part of health and well-being in my book, we're, it's okay for us to sacrifice women's experience of all of that and in order to enhance men's experience of all that is simply to because you know there has been research done on the male birth control pill and it was rejected because the side effects were too uh were considered to be too dangerous for men, whereas nobody's ever said that about the side effects for women, and some of them even are are life threatening. Uh, I I've uh, know one person in particular who's um, uh, she's a uh, Chinese medicine specialist for fertility and and repro women for reproductive health, and she got into that field because she had as a young woman, very young, she had, she got breast cancer and she figured it out what the cause of it was in her studies was that she had been put on birth control early on for difficult menstruation and that the birth control itself was feeding and making her predisposed and feeding the breast cancer. And so now she is very much into uh, fertility awareness and not using birth control because the hormones in there can um, actually cause, be causal in, in the development of breast cancer much earlier on in life than typically is for young women. And so it's life threatening the side effects often of, well, I don't know about how often, but it can be life threatening. And so it, there's not a question in my mind that the side effects for male birth control were more severe 
than the ones for female birth control because the side effects have been shown to be life-threatening for female birth control, so you can't get much more severe than that. So <laughs> even if it was life-threatening in some instances for men, that's no different. And the only difference is this disparity in, in the collective agreement of how much responsibility for fertility and child-rearing and, and childbirth we're putting on men versus how much we're putting on women. And so that's where this, um, this education, I feel, really needs to happen. And it's systemic and um, uh, institutionalized. And, and so it's very challenging to change that. And that's why I feel it's so important for us to be out here talking about it. And that's why I wanna, <laughs> in part in the listeners today, that to get this book and take it to your local high school <laughs> and sit down in someone's office there, the principal, whoever, and open it up and actually read excerpts of the book because just setting it on their desk might not get them to read it. But it's so much more complicated than that. So I live in, but I, I agree with you. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to like, bus no, I know. <laughs> I live in Canada and I'm not following. I mean, I was, I was in, I was in my writing you know, a hole. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you yes, call it that. In your cave. Or, yeah, my writing cave. That sounds better than a hole. So I was in my yeah, writing yeah. cave <laughs> uh, for a couple of years. But I mean, there's a lot of controversy where I live around the curriculum. They were mm -hmm. revamping the curriculum, this, you know, around sexual abuse and, you know, consent, because mm -hmm. obviously we should be talking. Yes. There's certain things that should clearly Thank be goodness. in there. You have this epidemic of sexualized violence against women and children and etc. And like, we should be teaching young people what consent is, but that's controversial. And there's all oh, these yeah. discussions and there's, it's, it, it's at the government level of whether or not this is going to be approved and sanctioned. So I think that there, to some extent, depending on the school, depending on the environment depending on the country the teachers may or may not even have the ability to 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 teach or they may so it's hard to it's hard to know the complexities but at the right. end of the day what what I the messages that I hear from women because a lot of women discover this information in their late 30s and early 40s mm -hmm. I had a conversation yesterday with um, a friend and, and client of mine uh, um, and fellow colleague were kind of connected on all these different levels, but uh, she discovered fertility awareness in her late 30s. She was probably 37, 38, and you can just hear the pissed offness, you know, in her voice. Mm -hmm. You can just hear the passion in her voice because she's saying, you know, my whole life, I, how can I be 38? You know, I went to school. I'm a smart woman. I have a significant career here, and here I am, almost 40, and just discovering about my cervical mucus and how it's connected to ovulation and, you know, all of that stuff, and and so uh, one of the themes that I hear from women who are discovering this later in life, fully in the midst of their adulthood, after they get over the, you know, it's like a fee feeling of anger and betrayal and kind of confusion. Like, how is it even possible that we don't know this stuff? Uh, then, in, you know, immediately after that comes the passion to educate the next generation. And well, mm -hmm. if I have daughters or if I have a daughter, I'm going to, you know, teach her about this. And uh, I remember I had a really rewarding conversation with a client who had gone through one of my programs. And then she, you know, then talked to me about how, because her daughter was a teenager. So she was, you know, learning this and using this method um, in her late 30s, I think. Uh, I think that was about her age. But her daughter was 
fully a teenager, probably nearing the end of her high school journey. So, uh, and her daughter was, she was sharing this knowledge with her daughter and we had this hilarious moment together where she's like, you know, I taught my daughter about mucus and then she came to me and was, you know, when she finally saw it, the one day she ran to me and was like, mom, I saw my cervical mucus. And they had this wonderful moment as mother and daughter. And this is what's possible. So I, my goal I can't say that I have this like firm, it needs to be in every school because there's a part of me that's almost given up on that. I don't know. I haven't given up on it, but it's not my focus. My focus Mm -hmm. is to get this knowledge into the hands of women because it's women. It's us that are going to change this situation. It's us that are going to empower each other and that are going to empower our daughters. And that's going to change the landscape in ways we have no idea. Mm-hmm. When we have government officials that understand how their body works and are passionate about sharing this body literacy, that's when we can have that policy change, mm-hmm. right? Like we got to infiltrate. Mm-hmm. Infiltrate. I love it. Right. Cause we're still, if we're still trying we're shaking the book at the, at the yeah. administration. That it, it needs still- to be the administrator that's holding the book. That's like, yes. look, you hired me well, on this profession and I'm a woman and it needs to be the administrator who's already on board. Yes. And, and that we're moving in that direction, thankfully, uh, given, given the latest elections and things. Um, but in the meantime, uh, then what, what I'm envisioning is having fertility circles or, you know, we already have the red tent thing, which often focuses more on the emotional or spiritual side of things. Um, and, and I know that, you know, I, I discovered fertility awareness as a young woman in, in college. I believe I discovered it then because I tried the birth control pill for maybe six to eight months. No, it was longer than that. I think it was a couple of years, 16, 17, 18, maybe. And at that point, I just, I could feel it in my body that it, and my emotions and my whole being that it was not right for me. And so... I quit before I had any major side effects, but then I had for my whole young adult life, you know, all this concern and looked into other things because I was determined not to get pregnant as a young woman when when I didn't want to. In fact, I was determined not to get pregnant at all. I I was exposed to radical groups like uh, the zero population growth uh, group, which was an activist group that was saying, look, overpopulation is a big issue. Let's address this by vowing tonight. And they would give, they gave like home, um, like hot water uh, vasectomy, not vasectomy, but hot water infertility treatments for men, you know, <laughs> like they, like wow. they gave a chart of how to do it to uh, reduce the sperm count in a, in a, in a man by soaking his balls in hot water and things like this. And so I was exposed to all of this. And so I got my, my hands on an old book called the Billings method. It was the first book about fertility awareness and Billings. Uh, I think it was a couple, if I remember correctly, they traveled all over the world, including lots of places in Africa and trained people with the these fertility awareness methods cervical mucus temperature tracking um and to do it together with their partners um tracking every day and and a very they have a very elaborate very specific method that they went around the world and taught people in third world countries who couldn't afford condoms or birth control pills or things like that and they made a great case for this method they went and they were activists all over the world with this 
yet, meanwhile, me in California, every time I tried to date a guy and get him to do this with me, it wouldn't happen. <laughs> See, that's, that's interesting. So yeah. I don't know if, I don't know what things were like, because I remember I had a really interesting conversation with um, a friend of my mom's. And so my mom is in her 70s. And so it's just of a different generation. And she mm -hmm. uh, grew up in the West Indies. So mm -hmm. a different generation and different culture as well. Mm -hmm. And so I'm having this interesting conversation with my mom and a friend of hers who's in the same age group. I had just had my first son. He was a baby. And I said, I, we were just talking and I said something about, you know, oh, I'm not ready to, to try for number two yet. You know, he's just a couple months old. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, my husband and I have talked about this and blah, blah, blah. And she said something that was really interesting to me. So she said something to the effect of, you know, when I was your age, I wasn't really into children that much. The woman had four children. But right off the bat, she wasn't really interested in having a bunch of kids mm -hmm. and she had four. Wow. Um, and then she mentioned that back in those days, I couldn't tell my husband that I didn't want to have kids. Like we didn't have a conversation about how oh, many kids my gosh. we have. You know, we just had like, so, so she was, this is she, like her husband, she loves, like he passed away, you know, some time ago, but she, this wasn't a conversation of I was oppressed or whatever. This was a conversation of this is how things were. My husband yeah. wanted kids. I wasn't really into it. The compromise was four as opposed to eight. Oh my goodness. Right? Because it's just a different time. This is a long, long time ago. But it just made me realize that not for all women, because every woman doesn't necessarily have the ability to advocate for herself in this way in her relationships. But my experience working with women over the years as a fertility awareness educator has given me hope about mankind. You know, the I all of my clients, I can't say I've had any client yet. All of my clients, their partners mostly male, because I'm teaching them this method for birth control, so mostly yeah. heterosexual couples. But, um, you know, with the clients who I'm working with, their partners, in my experience, have been extremely supportive. Their partners really love them, and when they discover the negative side effects of the pill, or when they see it for themselves, when they actually mm -hmm. see that their partner is anxious or depressed, or their mood changes and things like mm -hmm. that, and they notice that or low libido. And then when they come off birth control, the libido's back. It's like they have their person back. Mm -hmm. They don't want, they love their partners. They don't want their partners to be struggling emotionally all for birth control when you could find other ways to organize it and mm -hmm. sort it out. So in my experience, which could be different from your generation, um, you know, a lot of women do have the ability to advocate for themselves. And a lot of women are really scared that their partners wouldn't come on board. But it's like the majority, I don't know if you can, I can say that, but the majority, if not at least a good percentage of men, good men, <laughs> are really open and willing to, to sort mm -hmm. this out because they just want you to be happy and they also yeah. want to have sex with you. Yeah, He's right. Happy. That's the thing. <laughs> and they don't necessarily want to be using condoms all the time, right? No, well, so, and, and that was the problem. And the women the don't necessarily want no. condoms all the time either. Right. Yeah. And, and because that can be, you know, that can be a thing that women don't like either. But the thing is, then you pile on top of the norm. What was an issue for me, which was my own intimacy issues, uh, emotional and on the emotional side of things where the relationship modeling that I had growing up uh, was very traumatic. And so it took me into my 30s to 
find the healing processes that I needed to be able to even have a relationship that was intimate enough on a long going basis that that discussion could actually be effective and to even develop my own communication skills. And I'm still developing them because I learned growing up that to speak up for yourself was, was mortally dangerous or not mortally, but, but it, it, threatened threatening it was threatening to to you know in the relationship my parental relationship was um was very dysfunctional and so i learned you know from the women in my family that you just be quiet you just don't talk about your needs and you just focus everything on making sure that the man is happy and okay and and that's how you stay safe there's a part of me when you say that that's just like, Argh! I know, I know, me too now. Literally, I can feel it. I'm trying to just like find my chi. It's, but it's a reality. It's a reality. I, one of the things I'll say is that, you know, because for me, my lived experience was I've never had a sexual relationship with someone where I was on birth control. So pregnancy was always something that I had to talk about with partners. I didn't have the option to not talk about it because I did not, I had no intention of becoming pregnant when I was in my early twenties in university. And I didn't necessarily want to have a baby with these people. These were, these were, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. yeah, at at, at the young age, I hadn't, you were not the person I had chose to become my life partner yet. I'm still young and I don't want to have your child. So I had to have these conversations and my lived experience, and this is why I'm so passionate. You can kind of hear the fire coming out, but yes, <laughs> having to have having not been on birth control and having being in relationships, having meaning that I had to talk about these things, even though I didn't necessarily have the skills or anything, I had to figure them out. You know, I had to. It, I may not have been talking in the most eloquent way, but I had to talk, right? And I had to figure this out, and I had to. Um, find a way to negotiate these things. And mm-hmm. part of why I share my story as well is because, you know, one of my first relationships, I was like 19 years old. So I was quite young and I was able to negotiate this. I was able to communicate. We were able to figure it out. I didn't get pregnant. Mm-hmm. So I, there's, there's always this kind of lurking idea that young people, women need to be on the pill because it's almost they like either they're too stupid mm. to learn anything about their bodies. If you tell them about how their body works, they'll go and have sex. It's this fear. And also we're, we're not giving men a lot of credit. So in the same Facebook conversation I was sharing with you where, you know, I was talking about like, what about the condom? Um, the response I had from a woman in the group was like, well, that's all well and good, Lisa, but you know, young, we can't, expect young people to use condoms correctly at least with the pill it's really bad so this is the rhetoric this is the story <laughs> it's way and easier I think to, to myself, use a condom than to take the pill every day well how could we be giving how could we um think so little of men i mean think about what the world tells us about men first of all the world tells us that men run the world we see images of men in all of these big professions and, and all of that we've we're trying to get to, you know, 80, 90 cents on the dollar. So you're telling me that these men can fly to the moon and they can, you know, do all, you can be doctors and physicists and all this stuff and you can't put on a condom. And take responsibility for their 50% share of the fertility equation. I mean, honestly, this is a public health education issue. If you were to, if let's pretend, let's just imagine for a minute that our culture was different and we valued women's health. (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. Let's and just imagine. Let's just imagine for one minute. And we valued women's health and sexual experiences and pleasure and overall just experience over hormonal birth control. So let's just mm-hmm. pretend for a minute that we actually valued women's lived experiences over this birth control industry. So what would have to happen is our education within our school systems would have to be sex positive. Yeah. We would have to teach boys to first of all, understand women. We would have to teach boys female anatomy. Yes. We would have to teach them about the female orgasm and how it happens and how it's not a mystery. And that every girl can have an orgasm. No one's body is broken. Like we, just like you can have an orgasm, she can have an orgasm. We would also have to tell, teach boys to be responsible for their ejaculations. <laughs> there was a woman who came out with an article recently and it was just like, it just, I'm sure it went viral and everyone was talking about it because she was basically putting men on blast. She was saying, every unplanned pregnancy is your fault, men, because mm-hmm. you're the one running around with your ejaculate, ejaculating randomly into women. So teaching boys to take responsibility for your ejaculation, to wrap it up, wear a condom every time or to withdraw. I know withdrawal isn't popular and people talk about it as if, you, you know, I understand all of, I've heard all of the conversations about it and I'm not necessarily promoting it as a birth control method at all. But, but if every boy, but imagine if every single teenage boy, I mean, used perfectly, it's up to 96% effective. So there's mm. that. So if every single teenage boy withdrew, then we wouldn't really have a pregnancy epidemic. Mm-hmm. So all we have to do is to involve boys into this conversation to first of all, give them some credit, recognize that they're not morons and they can figure out how to put on a condom and we can teach them to respect women enough to take responsibility. I feel like this isn't too much to ask. No. And I bet it would be a lot easier to infiltrate too, because imagine all those teenage boys looking on the internet for anything about sex and, and finding all of the porn sites. And all I the, know, but oh. if we, but if we said, if we had like, Learn about sex from experienced older women circles. Hey, hey, young men, come on into the circle and we'll tell you all about it, <laughs> right? You'd get a lot more traffic and a lot because young men are uh, have an easy, like they find ways to get around any parental sanctions around getting anything sexual. And there may be, there's usually less parental sanctions on boys around access to sexual content on on the internet than there is for girls like there's more of a like thing against girls learning about sex it seems and so boys manage to do it anyway even if they do have a sanctioning uh, family scenario and so it might be easier to infiltrate here we go now we've got an avenue <laughs> right well, yeah. it's so interesting because it, it, it basically, in my opinion, I think it hurts everybody. It hurts everybody when we don't provide the education. Mm-hmm. We're scared, apparently, as a culture to tell teenagers the secret about sex. Mm-hmm. Wait for it. It feels good. Yeah, right. Big <laughs> like, <secret>. so, <laughs> Right? We're so scared that we talk about everything but that. And then it ends up causing so many more problems. Mm-hmm. But I feel like fundamentally, I mean, this is a conversation of respect. We need to have enough respect for women's bodies. First and foremost, that we stop teaching women that their menstrual cycle isn't important and that it only matters when they're trying to have children. Because then as women, we lose out on the opportunity to learn about our vital sign, which is mm-hmm. the whole 
you know, the central message that I, um, that, for, that I learned from learning fertility awareness myself, from teaching it all these years, mm-hmm. what I learned from that is that our menstrual cycles, they're, they're, they're incredible. They're connected mm-hmm. to our health. They're not separate from us. One of the things that we were talking about kind of at the beginning of our call at some point, it came up just this idea of, um, understanding your menstrual cycle, uh, meaning that if you have a problematic period or something like that, understanding that it, it it's telling us something. Mm-hmm. So if your periods are really painful. So we tend to have this idea that if there's something wrong with our cycles or our periods, that we're broken mm. and we're right. Like there's something wrong with us, mm-hmm. but by learning that your menstrual cycle is a vital sign, you can actually have more of a relationship with your body. Mm-hmm. If you have screaming, painful, horrible, periods if you mm-hmm. if your periods stop if you're having uh, issues with ovulation or whatever the case is if we understand our menstrual cycles as a vital sign then we can start to appreciate our bodies they it, it cannot communicate to us with words so mm-hmm. one of the ways that our bodies can communicate with us is through symptoms mm-hmm. so we don't have to think of ourselves as broken mm-hmm. you know if your period stops coming if you have really painful really heavy periods some sort of problem with your menstrual cycles that's actually your body trying to tell you look there's something that's out of whack here it could be an endocrine issue it could be an underlying infection it could be a gut problem it could be the fact that you're exercising too much and not eating enough food to cover the deficit whatever the case may be Mm -hmm. that you're way too stressed out or that you drink too much coffee or whatever Mm -hmm. but whatever it could be if you are attuned to the fact that your menstrual cycle is connected to your health and that when it's off, it's an important indication of something that's wrong, something underlying, that empowers us mm-hmm. not only to understand our bodies and to advocate for ourselves in the bedroom or you know, all the things we were talking about today, but it also empowers us to advocate for our health because if there's one thing, if you speak to enough women about their experiences with medical professionals, is that women were often dismissed. If we have a health concern, if we have a symptom, we go to the doctor, we're often told that it's in our head or that it's normal. How many women have been on birth control and gone back to their doctor and said, I've got headaches now, I've got yeast infections, I feel depressed, whatever, and the doctor puts them on some other medication and, oh, it's normal. Oh, just give it another couple months. Oh, you just had it put in. Don't worry about that. Oh, it's, it's normal to have random bleeding all the time. It's completely fine to not ovulate. Like, all of these things we're told. I mean, this is just a way for us to empower ourselves. Exactly. Exactly. In fact, I think it was in your interview with Kelly Garza that she talked about how it wasn't until the 1990s that women even began being included in most medical research because of the them the the that it's different. Our health is different because of this whole you know our different reproductive system that's integrated into the whole body and involves all of our health systems, all of our body systems are involved in the female reproductive reproductive process. And so um, men are a bit simpler to study medically if you don't want to have to deal with the female reproductive thing. But it's like, hello, where do you think you came from? (laughs) Well, and another example of that, I mean, I, I recorded an interview with Dr. Aviva Ram. It hasn't aired yet. And she was talking about just, so basically it's, it's come to light within the last, you know, several years that women have different symptoms that indicate when they're going to have a heart attack 
So uh -huh. throughout history, you know, we've been taught that this is what a heart attack looks like, but it's literally based on how the, the male men. body responds. So recently it's come to light that women experience heart attacks very differently. And so you have generations of doctors that were not even taught about how to identify heart attacks in women. So this oh has God. since been changing. So now doctors are educating, you know, in medical school, they're educating about the different ways that it shows up. But this is just to support what you said. Yes to oh that. My gosh. You know? I'm so glad. I can't wait to hear your interview with Aviva Ram. I'm actually in one of her <laughs> online training programs, Herbal Medicine for Women, and I absolutely love her. So I'm so glad you got to interview her. Um, so I'm excited to, to excited to hear that. So, well, listen, I just want to thank you again. And I might write you a few thank you emails too, especially because I'm considering um, recommend, I want to recommend your book in my womb centered healing temple book club. We have a long list of books actually, um, but that will all get a copy of the book and read it together. Um, one gal is requesting the books through her library, even if they have to purchase a copy. See, so we got to get it, it. That's one thing we can request at our libraries that they purchase your book too that's another little infiltration method yes. um so get to your look if you don't you know buy the book for yourself buy several copies and then go request it be purchased at the library and so um we will post the links look for the link to purchase uh lisa's book and um can you give us a, a website or some way that people can contact you Yes. So the book is available on Amazon in ebook and paperback format. The audiobook is coming. I'm working on it still. Took a little longer than I thought. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, you can actually, the listeners can get the first chapter of the book for free over at the fifth vital sign book.com. And, uh, and then, you know, the website, my main website is fertilityfriday.com. And for anyone who's interested in hearing more about vaginas and fertility awareness, um, if you just type Fertility Friday in your favorite podcast app, you will find the podcast. Beautiful. And keep an ear out for our upcoming fertility revolution right where we're going to be having <laughs> our infiltration so we're going to take over the world we decided yeah, right? after, you know as soon as we got together with this podcast sam and i are going to be hosting <laughs> a fertility revolution uh, you're all invited by the way so let's all start making a ruckus and demand better and send, send your men to, and your young men and your older men to our circles all about fertility awareness um and that may very well be serious. We don't know yet, but we'll let you know. And men uh, love vaginas. So why wouldn't they want, like, a lot of men. So a lot of men love vaginas. So yes. they want to come to the, the, the circle. The ball yes, ball absolutely. Ball. Why not? And if they don't want to come, you can shake a shoe at them until they get here. <laughs> um, and so... The other thing I do want to announce is an actual event that we do actually have scheduled and, and we are working on, which is the Embodied Shakti Summit. Uh, we didn't talk about this uh, yet, Lisa, but it's something that I'm sharing about in each of my podcasts right now. It's coming up April 5th through 19th. I have a whole host of speakers talking about the more esoteric, spiritual, emotional side of the womb and 
feminine spirituality and how that relates to feminine sexuality or even masculine sexuality. We do have one male guest speaker uh, as part of the summit. So I invite listeners to please join us for the Embodied Shakti Summit um, through the link embodiedshaktisummit.com. So, any last words of insight or intention you'd like to share for us today, Lisa? Um, I suppose I would just say that um, one of the, I feel like one of the most, one of the acts of rebellion or one of the ways to infiltrate or all the things that we've been talking about today is quite literally just to learn about your menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. I think that's the most powerful thing I can say. And also, thank you for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Likewise. All right. Thanks for joining us. That's all for now, folks. Until next time.